is Ann Cosgrove reporting for John Lothian News. Today we're looking at the cannabis market's fundamentals and equity performance with NASDAQ Celine Daya, who's part of the Toronto-based research team that covers listed cannabis companies, many of which trade on NASDAQ. Greetings. Hey, Suzanne. It's, uh, it's really good to be back. I know it's been a while since we last, uh, we last chatted, but it's, uh, it's great to be back. Great. Let's start by looking at cannabis performance since the end of the third quarter of 2021. Can you elaborate on how cannabis companies have performed so far in the fourth quarter? And uh, also give us a sense of where gains and losses are concentrated. You know, as we approach the the end of 2021, we've definitely seen continued underperformance across the cannabis space, really building on the the weakness and actually on the activity that we saw in the second and third quarters of the year. If we look at the major cannabis benchmark that we monitor, the Selective North American Marijuana Index, we can see it sits lower by about 13% this quarter and close to 20% year to date. If we look at the distribution of these losses, they're very widespread with both Canadian and U.S. players in the red this quarter so far. About 85% of U.S.-based players have declined in the fourth quarter of 2021 versus 91% of Canadian players. So the disparity that we actually previously saw um, in Canadian and U.S. names back in 2020 and even as recently as 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 early 2021 is really no longer present. The declines are very much widespread across the across the space and seem to be indiscriminate with respect to both U.S. and Canadian players. That's pretty interesting. The performance you're talking about across the cannabis space for the fourth quarter of 2021 and the second half of this year broadly seems very different from what we saw in the first quarter of 2021 as, as we got into the year. What do you think is driving this underperformance or weakness across the sector? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that's a that's a really great question, and and you know I think there are going to be a, a couple of factors at play here. The first is kind of an ongoing theme in the second half of 2021, and that's been waning regulatory momentum. I know we've definitely chatted about this on on some of our previous conversations, yeah. but to, to more or less elaborate on that a bit, you know, the federal reform that many were hoping back in early 2021 and, and even uh, back in 2020 on the back of those state level ballot initiatives and then the Democratic Senate sweep clearly has not transpired as the regulatory process largely remains mired by disagreement on the scope and depth that federal, federal regulation should take. You know, while we have seen some momentum and optimism on the back of, you know, the recent Republican-led deregulation initiative that we saw uh, in November, for example, that momentum has really been very short-lived. Uh, I think that really underscores the fact that that pessimism remains a dominant theme across the markets, especially um, as it relates to regulation. And actually, on the issue of regulation, we've also seen some escalating concerns from financial institutions that have really translated into greater restrictions on U.S.-based cannabis investments in particular, which actually explains um, some of the substantial and widespread underperformance we've seen across the space as of late. For example, you know, J.P. Morgan Chase told its clients in early November it would no longer permit them to buy certain U.S. cannabis-related securities following a similar move by Credit Suisse earlier this year. And as your listeners may actually recall, Credit Suisse essentially um, 
instituted its own substantial restrictions on cannabis investments on the back of uh, on the back of the Archigos fiasco back in around April, right. um, April and May. Now, the restriction uh, from JP Morgan in particular is actually aimed at encouraging compliance with U.S. money laundering laws and regulations. And as a part of the restrictions, the bank really barred new purchases and short positions in, in U.S.-based securities, really only permitting clients with existing positions to liquidate or exit their holdings. Now, naturally, this will have exerted some significant pressure uh, across the sector, which, which is, which is uh, of course, uh, a notable, de notable development. And when we look at the benchmark performance across uh, cannabis, uh, cannabis names, uh, that action by JP Morgan definitely coincides with a pullback uh, broadly in, in, in cannabis performance. And then another factor here will be tax loss selling. I think that's going to be a really important variable, variable at play, um, particularly given you know, the underperformance um, concentrated in the mid-November period since. For the benefit of your listeners, you know, tax loss selling is, is effectively the practice of selling losing stocks to, to essentially help offset capital gains uh, tax liability for, for many portfolio managers. And given cannabis names have performed, have underperformed rather very sharply as of late, I think the tax loss selling piece is going to be a very important uh, contributor uh, to the underperformance that's really accelerated uh, across the sector since around uh, mid-November. Um, and I think it's going to be an important factor as we round out the year. So I wouldn't be surprised to see some more interim pressure across, across the space. Um, the third is going to be asset flows. So flows into major cannabis ETFs, uh, which tend to be top holders across the space. You may recall you know, from previous cannabis pulses that consistently uh, top holders across um, uh, the cannabis sector has essentially been index assets, uh, i.e. ETFs and um, higher turnover institutional assets. But those ETF flows have really fluctuated wildly. For example, in early November, we saw the MSOs, which is a, a major benchmark of US cannabis exposure, not some, not some of its highly highest uh, daily inflows rather on record on the back of that Republican-led legalization initiative uh, that I mentioned earlier. Now, this actually, of course, reversed course almost entirely uh, around mid-November as the benchmark encountered very sharp outflows resulting in some significant selling pressure across the space. And so the erratic nature of these asset flows, I think, will be contributing to some volatility um, and broader pressure across the sector. And those asset flows, of course, come uh, amid a, uh, a backdrop of regulatory pressure or waning regulatory momentum, as I mentioned, as well as tax law selling. So the slow progress in the U.S. to tackle federal regulation is something to watch probably in 2022 um, as well. Is tax law selling, you mentioned, is that factor mostly a year-end issue? Yeah, so I mean, so the short answer is yes. We do tend to see tax law selling uh, among institutional names begin around the final quarter of the year, typically in October, and uh, accelerate actually, actually as we approach the month of December. Uh, we do expect tax law selling to likely ease in the final week or so of December, given selling transactions typically need to settle before the last business day of the year. Uh, and it also takes about two to three business days for securities to settle. Combine that with, you know, um, seasonally light uh, market activity. And we do tend to expect, um, you know, that tax law selling pressure to ease uh, as we as we approach the end of the month. 
Let's talk a little bit more about investor interest. So in in the price pressure we've seen across the cannabis space, how has institutional interest evolved over the first quarter of this year? First three quarters. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a, I mean, a really great question. And, you know, the institutional piece is definitely something that we continue to keep a very close eye on uh, here at NASDAQ. And so using our most recent cannabis pulse based on Q321, 13F disclosure as a starting point, we, we definitely continue to see hedge funds and higher turnover institutional assets alongside index and passive names really drive the majority of the buying and selling across the cannabis space. That is, of course, in line with historical trends and with some of our discussions that we've had in the past. Uh, I think what is interesting, however, is that we do also continue to see some institutional assets come into the mix. In our most recent cannabis pulse, uh, for example, uh, you know, we highlighted um, names like the Canada Pension Plan Investment Board, a large Canadian-based uh, pension fund, alongside the likes of Wellington, both of which essentially were, were top buyers across uh, cannabis names within the 500 million plus market cap bucket. Mm. The, the caveat here is that these institutional names will not often hold direct exposure to cannabis players. And I think that's an important point. Rather, they'll hold positions in so-called cannabis adjacent names, as well as companies that may be tangentially related to the cannabis sector, including pharmaceutical companies that produce products based on cannabis derivatives. Now, this reality, I think, of course, underscores the continued hesitancy for long-only institutional asset managers to invest uh, directly in cannabis companies. The sector remains uh, quite new with significant regulatory barriers that we, that, that we just chatted about, not just in the U.S., but also in Canada as well. Combine this with the inherent volatility of the space, and I think it's, it's pretty easy to see why the overall appetite from long-only institutions continues to remain fairly subdued. That's interesting that you also see it in Canada since it is legal in Canada. So it's kind of a, a long running issue. Um, mm -hmm. It makes sense then that institutional investors remain hesitant to put their assets to work in the sector given the current state of regulation. But can you elaborate a little more on what that looks like? How has regulation progressed? Yeah, so I mean, another really great question. Naturally, you know, the issue of regulation is definitely something that we do um, strive to keep a very close eye on here at NASDAQ, given the fact that regulatory reform or lack thereof tends to be an important driver of market sentiment, and by extension, uh, uh, the lion's share of the performance across a lot of our cannabis clients. And so a lot of the regulatory reform that we've seen across the space has really been quite modest, at least at the federal level. Most of the reform that has occurred has really centered on research, which is, of course, a step in the right direction, but remains a far cry from the deregulation um, and legalization that I think many have hoped for. There's also been some significant political gridlock with respect to actually passing some of what we refer to as the big ticket legislative initiatives. Uh, this will, of course, include safe banking. You know, just this week, it was reported that safe banking language would not be in included in the initial version of, of the National Defense Authorization Act. Um, and of course, as you know, safe banking, um, which would provide U.S.-based multi-state operators with access to financing and various banking-related services, has been a key milestone that, um, that many within the cannabis sector have been, have been keeping a close eye on when it comes to bringing us closer to more meaningful deregulation 
uh, and progress on that milestone has largely stalled. So the short answer is that regulatory progress remains quite slow. And there's actually a lot of disagreement on the particularities of federal reform. Democrats, for instance, have demanded far more broad and all-encompassing reforms that address matters of social justice and have, in fact, voiced their willingness to oppose deregulation efforts that do not include such social uh, justice provisions. And so there's really a lot of gridlock and a lot of stalled progress when it comes to, to the issue of federal regulation. So it looks like uncertainty in the sector and volatility may be continuing next year. Would you agree with that? Uh, yes, absolutely. I think, I think regulatory uncertainty unsurprisingly remains the dominant theme across the space. And I would expect this to continue into the new year. I, I would anticipate a, a continuation of the status quo. And so this would entail some continued political gridlock um, at the federal level, while the states really drive most of the progress, as has been the case in the past. Yeah. This will include some ballot initiatives or advocacy efforts in Arkansas, for example, with respect to legalization, Idaho with respect to depenalization and medical access, Missouri with respect to legalization, Nebraska with respect to medical access, North Dakota with respect to legalization, and Ohio with respect to legalization, to name a few. So I think at least at the state level, there's definitely uh, a lot to watch in 2022, and that's exactly what we'll be doing here at NASA. Definitely. Thank you again, Salim. It is always great to get your perspective. Um, signing off for now, this is Suzanne Cosgrove at John Lothian News.